Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 310. Today is March 28th, 2020. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, I want to jump right into today's topic, which is about having a strategic investment plan or really just thinking in terms of strategic investing. Now, I'm going to talk about the current tragedy that we're going through with the coronavirus and put that in terms of how you can take a current event and apply long-term strategic thinking to your investment portfolio. And while I'm specifically talking about the coronavirus event right now, the framework for this type thinking is the same strategic thought that you would give regardless of what type of crisis is currently impacting the economy that you're in. Okay, so I've entitled this episode, Strategic Investing, COVID-19 is Neutron Bombing the Economy. I'm choosing this metaphor very carefully because I think it absolutely applies in terms of what's happening with the COVID virus and what's likely to happen to the stock market and the economy in the future. And so the number one thing that's critically important whenever you're developing a strategic investment framework is that you come up with some type of a model or some type of a analogy that you're working off of that is as close to reality as possible. So in this particular case, the reason I specifically mention neutron bombing of the economy is because I can't think of a better metaphor to actually what is taking place. The two key phrases there are bomb and neutron. Now the bombing of the economy is a bad thing. That's why we currently see the stock market in a bear market down more than 20% from the highs. And just like you'd have a bombing during a war, it is drastically impacting the economy. People are arguing whether or not we're going to go into recession or depression. Listen, I'm not worried about any long-term effects. I'm not worried about a depression. We are currently in a recession. That's undebatable. But I think it's going to be a short-lived recession. And that's what takes us into the neutron part of this analogy. You see, while the virus is having a drastic impact on the economy, you know, literally bombing the economy, because this is a virus that is currently a pandemic, but will eventually evolve into something that's endemic, either because we'll have a cure for it or a vaccine, or just naturally people will develop some type of a herd immunization, because that is ultimately what's going to happen, then the effects of this bombing of the economy are short-term in nature. Short-term, we don't know if that's a week, a month, a year, but you can rest assured that this is not going to go on forever. Okay, and so while the economy is being destroyed and is being bombed, it's being done in a fashion which to me is reminiscent of the neutron bomb. Now, if you're younger than me and you didn't grow up during the Cold War, you may not remember what the neutron bomb was. But the neutron bomb was a weapon that we had in the nuclear arsenal that had a very specific tactical use. Now, fortunately, it was never used. But the concept of the neutron bomb was to be a very dirty bomb, to create an immense amount of immediate nuclear fallout. The bomb was to be detonated high enough over enemy territory, uh, where it was high enough in the atmosphere, where the actual explosion of the bomb would create very limited damage in terms of structural damage to infrastructure, you know, buildings, railroads, bridges, factories. So the actual destructive force of the bomb itself was limited, but it was a very dirty, 
and a highly radioactive bomb so that as the fallout came down, the residual radiation would be devastating and deadly to the human population. So people would not only die in mass, but it was also designed to have a very short half-life so that the poisonous effects of that radiation would go away. What does that leave you with? It leaves you with the ultimate bomb if you're fighting a war, where you can go in and kill the enemy and kill them rapidly, and then because the effects are going to dissipate, you can then go in and occupy that enemy territory. And even better yet, none of the infrastructure or a very limited amount of the infrastructure has been destroyed. So the enemy's dead, but the bridges and the railroads and the factories and everything else is still standing. Now, I'm not telling you that I'm in favor of such a use of nuclear weapons. I'm simply just describing to you what was in and still is in the nuclear arsenal and the strategic reason for why such a weapon would be used. And the whole reason I bring this up is because I think that's exactly what's happening to the economy right now. And this is why I have been relatively unconcerned with the high volatility and the drawdown that we've seen in the stock market. Because I believe that this is going to be a short-lived event that will be overcome and will have very little impact on future earnings. Just like the neutron bomb comes in and devastates and results in a loss of human life, the neutron bomb itself doesn't destroy the infrastructure. That's the same thing that's occurring with this virus. Unfortunately and tragically, people are dying. That has a very steep and abrupt impact on the short-term economy. But long-term, the infrastructure is still in place. So although lives are lost, the houses are still in place, the factories are still in place. All the means of production, as well as future consumption, are not being destroyed. And so what we're seeing is not a long-term recessionary or depressionary impact of destroyed consumption, but rather deferred consumption. That's a big difference. Long-term recessions and depressions occur because consumption is destroyed and impacted long-term. This generally results in one of two ways. One factor occurs because you have a, a destructive force. It could be a, an act of man, like a war, or it could be an act of nature, like a hurricane or an earthquake. But this destructive event occurs, it not only kills human beings, but it also destroys the infrastructure. Think of Fukushima in Japan after the tsunami that took place there. Or think of New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. You not only had a loss of life, but you also had a destruction of where people lived, how they earned their income, and then the productive capacity to manufacture products and services. All that was destroyed by an act of nature. And you think back to something like World War II and the major destructions that happened there during a war. So you end up with a long-term decrease in consumption, not only because there's less people, but also because the means of production have been destroyed. The other way a long-term recession or depression takes place is because the business cycle and the credit cycle of an economy explodes or comes to an end. That's what we saw happen during the Great Depression, that's what we saw during the Great Recession of 2008. So think back to 2008. There was a long-term decrease in consumption, but it wasn't as a result of the infrastructure being destroyed. It was a result of people not having money and, more accurately, not having credit to continue to purchase at the rate they had been before. 
Now, the reason this was so devastating and went on for so many years, and you know, a lot of people would argue that we're not totally out of it now, that all has to do with the way credit works. And there's a lot of facets of it, but let me just try and explain one simple part, and that applies to consumer spending. One of the biggest reasons that consumer demand not only drastically plunged following the 2008 recession, but held on for so many years, was because consumers not only didn't have the money, they didn't have the credit to buy things. They still had the desire. People still wanted to go out and buy big houses that they couldn't afford. The difference was that they not only didn't have the money to purchase those homes, but no one would loan them the money to buy those homes. So the recession itself was caused by a collapse in the credit system. And the reason it dragged on so long was that you had so many people, I think somewhere up in the range of maybe 25% of homeowners, maybe more, they went bankrupt. So that not only meant their credit short-term was destroyed and that they lost their house that they lived in, but it also meant that no one was going to lend them money long-term, you know, for upwards of seven years. And so you had the immediate impacts of the credit bubble imploding in 2008. But even years down the road in you know, 2012, 2013, those consumers hadn't yet restored their credit worthiness. So banks and lending institutions wouldn't allow them to borrow money. That meant that they couldn't buy new homes. That meant they couldn't buy new cars. That meant that they couldn't run up the credit card debt that they had previous to 2008. Now, I'm oversimplifying things, and there was a lot of other factors that took place during the Great Depression and during the recession of 2008, but I'm just giving you a snapshot of one of the factors that impacted a long-term destruction of consumer consumption. It didn't last six months or a year. It lasted well beyond a decade. Now, getting to where we are today, and the reason I haven't been concerned about the long-term impacts of COVID-19 are because I see this as demand deferral, not demand destruction. Consumers' long-term credit worthiness is not being destroyed, nor are the means of production and the infrastructure that supply people with goods and services, nor is that being destroyed. So yes, short-term, for a week, a month, a year, however long it's going to take for this virus to burn itself out, we will be in a recession and in an economic crisis. But just like the effects of a neutron bomb, the devastation won't last forever. Consumption is not being destroyed. It's simply being deferred. And so at some point in the future, later this year, maybe in 2021 or 2022, teenagers will go back to spending $200 on Nike tennis shoes. Millennials will go back to spending $1,000 on iPhones. Parents will be spending whatever the monthly fee is to buy Disney Plus for their kids. Virtually everybody that spends a large percentage of their paycheck at Costco or Walmart or Trader Joe's or, you know, wherever people shop, they will keep doing that. And so in the future, consumption will resume. I think it'll snap back with the force of a slingshot. And corporate America will not only go on to be profitable, but they'll become more efficient during this process. And so they'll become even more profitable in the future. And profits ultimately drive stock prices. Now, I don't know where the bottom is. I don't know where this is all going to settle out. That's why I've been dollar cost averaging into the dips. 
as the market goes down, as it breaks its 50-day or 100-day or 200-day moving average, or now as it you know drops down into a bear market below 20% or goes down below a two- or a four-year moving average, if I have money available, I buy those dips. I'm not Nostradamus. I have no idea where the bottom will be. But I know simply by looking at a chart of the long-term performance of the S&P 500 that over time, if you bought into those dips, then you were getting in at an acceptable entry point and that in the future, your assets will appreciate. So with the current market conditions we're in right now, I see this as something that's short-term and transient. That's why I'm holding through it. As I described in a previous episode, you want to hunker down. You want to be owning dividend-paying stocks and dividend-paying ETFs. These are quality blue-chip companies, so you ride out the bad times in those. From day to day, as the volatility increases and as people panic, you look for opportunities to buy into the market, and you also look for opportunities to rebalance your portfolio. And I'm out of time today, but if you come back for the next episode, you'll hear me discuss how I'm currently putting together a watch list that's primarily small-cap, high-growth companies that I'm considering taking a position in as this market eventually bottoms and consolidates. Now, I don't think we're there yet. We did see a, a huge increase in the market this week. I think the S&P 500 was up some 15 or 16% from Monday's lows. But as I described in a recent blog post over at investablewealth.com, I think that's likely to have been more of a, a dead cat bounce that's occurring because of the announcement of all the stimulus spending. I think that as the impact of the virus in the United States, and, and particularly as the daily death count gets higher, we'll see more fear come into the marketplace. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we not only retest the lows of March 23rd, but if we go lower, you know, somewhere maybe down in the range of 2,000 or less on the S&P 500. Now, I have no idea if that'll happen, but if it does, I think that's where the ultimate capitulation and exhaustion will take place. And then the market will consolidate from there, a bottom pattern will form, and then the market will go on and enter a new phase of a bull cycle. Well, hey, that's just my thoughts. As always, thanks for listening. Until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.